Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Smart Health Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Keyes. Today, we are looking at how COVID-19 pandemic uh, has changed our daily health routines and what that might look like for our future in healthcare. Uh, People have increased their hand washing. Hand sanitizer has become our best friend, and we're covering our coughs and sneezes the right way with our vampire capes. Um, All really good stuff, but we're also receiving healthcare differently, and virtual visits, telehealth have kind of become an adjustment that our society has had to make overnight. So the question is, do we believe that these changes will live past COVID-19 and involve patient thinking and habits? Uh, what can patients accept, ex- um, expect for their health care in six months to a year from now? Um, and how will this pandemic kind of change health the healthcare landscape? So we look to answer some of those questions today with our very special guest, um, Dr. Peter Bigler. So, Dr. Bigler is a board-certified family medicine physician who provides health care for patients from newborns to the elderly. After graduating magna cum laude from the Texas A&M University, uh, he received his medical degree from Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. He completed his residency in family medicine at Conroe Medical Education Foundation, where he served as chief resident in his final year. Dr. Bigler enjoys serving the community as a member of Conroe Medical Education Foundation Board of Di- Directors. He is is currently the medical director for Baylor St. Luke's Medical Group and was recently voted favorite physician at CHI St. Luke's Health, the Woodlands Hospital. Dr. Bigler believes the physician-patient relationship involves trust, honesty, hard work, and a large dose of laughter. Within this relationship, he it is his goal to provide high-quality health care for the patient through education, prevention, and compassion. Dr. Bigler, welcome to the podcast and thank you for being here. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Thank you for that introduction. Uh, I always joke with some of my patients when they read or see some of these accomplishments. I just pay people to say nice things about me. So. <laughs> uh, well, so, that's no, quite you. quite a quite a uh, a resume there. Quite quite some accomplishments. So um, you obviously earned them. Thank you. I'm I'm blessed. I've, I've been blessed to be able to do this wonderful occupation of being a family physician. So I, I greatly enjoyed, and I'm I'm glad I've been called in to provide this service to others. Yeah. So uh, I have a quick question for you before we kind of get into some of the other stuff. Um, as I as I mentioned in your intro, um, you kind of welcome infant patients into your practice. So given our topic today, wh- what's it like been communicating a baby's healthcare needs to them over telehealth? <laughs> and they sit there with their little <laughs> earbuds and sippy cups, you know, nodding their head and complying with your direction. <laughs> Yeah, that was actually a third-year medical school class. You didn't know that? That was no. in the curriculum for all of us, how to communicate uh, electronically to babies. Yeah. <laughs> we have a one-and-a-half-year-old at home, and I can just imagine him replying with babbles and throwing his goldfish 12-and-a-half feet over past the screen. So, <laughs> Which we all can interpret very, very meaningful communication. <laughs> all right, so I've kind yeah. of broken up the questions today into two sections, kind of like our current status, where we are, and then kind of what our future outlook looks kind of for the uh, – for healthcare, so we'll kind of start with the current status and then kind of go from there. Um, how have people changed their everyday health habits in light of the COVID nineteen pandemic? You know what I've seen is it, it, I think there are a lot of patients that have changed their health habits for the better, and some of them who, unfortunately, due to the restrictions that we've I think rightfully put in place, have changed their health habits uh, for the worse, and some have maintained their healthy lifestyle. So. It's kind of run the gamut, though I will say, you know, we're 
we're very blessed in this community to have many walking paths that are still open. And a lot of my patients, even though their gyms are closed, have hit the paths and taken time with their families to go and do some walking and doing exercising together. I think it's always better that we find others to to exercise with, um, and that'll make that more meaningful time and time that, uh, as an accountability partner, you're more likely to continue. You know, again, there's been some patients who have, their gyms have closed, and that's been their location of where they've sought to get their exercise done that have found it more difficult to, to uh, do the activities that they typically do from a, an exercise standpoint. Um, so I think it's really run the gamut. I, I, I see though that really more of my patients that haven't typically lived a healthy lifestyle are now choosing to take the time to do a walk or, or maybe do some exercising in other, other fashions. You know, of course, a big part of health is how we eat. And I, I've seen a lot of my patients uh, who have chosen to take this time to look at what it is that they're picking up from their local grocery store. And is it truly something that would benefit them um, from a health, a healthy diet standpoint? So I think I've seen more people than I've typically seen when I'm seeing them in the office who are focusing on what they're eating as far as what they should and should not be eating. So I hope that's something honestly that will continue in the long term. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's kind of one of my, my, that was actually the next question is kind of have these changes in habits benefited the community in other ways, uh, kind of beyond reducing the spread of COVID-19. And you touched on that. I mean, um, the other day I was, I was talking to my brother. It's, you know, the walking paths in our neighborhood, it's like every 50 feet are people with their dogs or their kids and, you know, people are waving and saying hi. And so it's almost like it has kind of almost brought a sense of community along the way too. That's good. Um, if patients continue these habits, will we uh, decrease the number of other maybe acute illnesses that we might see? You know, certainly, as, as Dr. Sims uh, echoed multiple times during his discussion with you, if we can continue with washing our hands, keeping our hands out of our face, that we <laughs> will uh, no doubt see a decrease in the spreading of acute illnesses. So I think if we can stick with his recommendations, uh, and, and honestly, social distancing as well, that there's a good chance uh, that we'll see fewer acute illnesses in the community and, of course, fewer in our office, which I don't mind if we see fewer people that are sick. I'd rather my patients stay healthy. Yeah, I think it, one thing it'll be interesting to see if patients continue, as we've encouraged them to do during this <clears throat> pandemic, to keep yourself at home if you're sick and make sure you're healthy, you know, asymptomatic without symptoms for at least three days before you get yourself back in your typical routine in the public. So I, I hope that we will see um, lessons learned from this pandemic as far as decreasing the number of acute illnesses in the future. That's good. Um, how has the delivery of healthcare changed during this pandemic? Well, certainly, you know, we are screening our patients. Uh, I'll use the word aggressively. We're at our offices. We're calling them the day before and screening them for viral symptoms, upper respiratory symptoms, and and you know, deciding if they need to be seen for that specific illness. If they are ill, or or yes, it's okay for you to go ahead and come in. You're not having any symptoms. So, will we continue that in the long term? It, it, I think the simple answer is it depends. Um, I think, you know, the delivery of health care, we're seeing a, a significant effort across medicine, both in the, in the clinical setting and in the inpatient setting in the hospital, that we're trying to deliver care um, uh, virtually, as we're calling it. So we're using, you know, 
Zoom technology, WebEx technology, where we can do an audio visit at the same time. That's been around for a while. It's just the type of visits and the setting for that has not been uh, approved from a payment standpoint unless you are a patient in a rural setting or maybe an immunocompromised patient. So will that stick around? We, we honestly, I think many of us hope that it will um, stick around telemedicine and some of the lightening of the restrictions and the scenarios where we can use it. Um, you know, I think that will benefit our patients, especially those that have find it difficult from a mobility standpoint to get into their primary care office. Now, obviously, there's still scenarios where we'll need to see patients in the office. But I think many of us uh, that work a lot in the clinic are hoping to see telemedicine stick around and some of the restrictions that have been lightened that will, will remain lightened and allow us to provide this care to patients uh, virtually. That's good. Um, so how have these changes, you kind of talking about telemedicine and, and some of these other things that are kind of now popping up and having to become more popular, how have these changes benefited or impacted patients and conversely care providers? Yeah, it's interesting. I think for a lot of patients, it's understandably difficult to get to the office at a set time. Most of us have, you know, appointments at a specific time and, you know, understandably things come up and last minute they have to reschedule. But if patients can maybe at work hop on a, a virtual visit with a physician or a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant, I think that convenience factor uh, will be a big benefit to the patient and make it more likely even for those of us that are healthcare providers that will actually get to see the patients. So I think that's going to be the greatest benefit is just the, the benefit of not having to get in the car and drive to an office and go through the check-in process there and see the patient in the office. It's, it'll be what I see as more convenient to the patient, um, being able to provide a visit that we can do um, virtually. That's good. Yeah, that's great. Um, convenience is, is something that I'm, I mean, when I work with a lot of my clients, I kind of, um, you know, in working with their health and wellness goals, I, I think, you know, let's, let's try to try to make it as convenient as possible and, and that transition a little bit easier for them. If I give them, you know, this crazy meal plan or something like that for them to try to eat, um, they may not adhere as well. So <laughs> I always look for, um, the most convenient yeah. way to to get that compliance. Um, so have you witnessed a decrease in people coming to the ER for non-COVID-19 emergencies like heart attack or stroke? Or, or I guess, do you think that maybe some patients are waiting longer to go to the ER when experiencing emergency symptoms? And could this maybe affect them down the road? Yeah, certainly to answer the second question first, that that's a worry of those of us in the medical community is we have patients who are worried about exposing themselves if they do go to an emergency room and potentially waiting too long um, to be seen and have something diagnosed that could have been assisted sooner when their symptom course. Um, are, are there patients actually not going to the ER? <clears throat> I think if we would, were to ask Dr. Raza today, and as I've sat on some of our, our calls in, in our CHI system, that emergency room visits um, overall um, for non-emergency scenarios have lessened. Certainly those that are obviously heart attack symptoms or stroke symptoms, those patients are going in. I've done some Reddit reading even um, nationally that the number of visits for heart attacks or even chest pain symptoms have decreased. So I think that's a phenomenon that we're seeing both locally and nationally is just uh, fewer overall critically critical symptoms that are coming into the emergency room and 
you know, we're, we've even set up with the Baylor St. Nick's Medical Group, uh, a clinic, uh, a couple of clinics across the city that uh, are for, uh, we think, are diverting patients out of the emergency room and allowing them to be emer- evaluated for upper respiratory type viral symptoms and, and being tested for COVID-19. So we hope our efforts uh, in, in what we call the ambulatory setting outside the hospital have, have allowed some of that decrease in traffic that's, that's typically going to the emergency room. That's good. Uh, you know, I think we've kind of covered it before with, I think Dr. Raza mentioned, um, should patients be considering elective procedures? And at the time, you know, he kind of said, no, not, not now. Has that changed at all? There hasn't been any change in that. You know, Governor Abbott has said that elective procedures should not be happening. So uh, with that still being in place, you know, I know there's some discussions on what do we do when that um, restriction is lifted, but certainly no one at this time will be able to schedule an elective procedure since there's really not a timeline on when those will be allowed. Yeah, I, actually, that, that brings up a good point. I kind of didn't really ever think about that. I mean, you know, all, all these elective procedures are kind of being put on hold. Good, but they're still stacking up. <laughs> What's it going to look like afterwards, right? Yeah, um, it, it, it'll, go ahead, it'll go be ahead. interesting to see how that unfolds and the prioritization. That, you know, there's, you know, nurses who work in the perioperative setting in the hospital that I think there's many systems that have decreased their hours, but I hope they're resting up and eating their weeds in preparation for <laughs> what will likely be a, a serious backlog of procedures once right. this is uh, allowed. Right. Um, have certain specialists had to kind of switch their focus to assist on some of the COVID-19 front lines? You know, there is a significant effort in places like New Jersey and New York and Miami and initially early in this pandemic in the northwest part of the United States. And we we are preparing uh, across southeast Texas. And what we hope is not going to happen is is a surge. So we we there are. modules, training modules being put in place that will train physicians, physician assistants, nurse practitioners, nurses that have been practicing in the um, in the clinic setting and what can we do to train them, enable them to help those in the inpatient setting. So there's preparation for that. Um, but thankfully, you know, I think we've flattened the curve per se and Thankfully, our, our hospitals at this point are able to accommodate the demand for these patients that are coming in. If we get to a point where we're hitting a significant surge, uh, we'll have a lot of physicians and nurses that will be ready to uh, re- redirect their focus from what they would typically do to provide care in the inpatient setting. That's good. That's really good. Okay, so so moving on to some of the more future questions, the future outlook that we have, uh, how, how do you think this pandemic will impact healthcare landscape, you know, maybe six months to a year or something like that? Sure. You know, as far as the healthcare landscape um, and, and the changes that have come about through COVID-19, the pandemic, um, you know, I can see, as we've mentioned, that, that we'll likely be providing more services via telemedicine, uh, which, uh, again, is, is a welcome change, I think, for, for a handful of our patients. Um, I think we'll see, from the patient standpoint, I think many of them will likely learn that they can uh, live a healthy lifestyle and not be going to the gym. I think they'll see that there are things they can do 
uh, at home or out on the in the parks and on the pathways in our community that will enable them to live a healthy lifestyle. And hopefully many of them will have chosen to pay closer attention to the, the foods that they're eating and not eating uh, to enable them to live a healthy lifestyle in the long term. Yeah, and that's kind of the next question is how do you think patients will approach their health their healthcare after this pandemic? And kind of like what you said, hopefully they'll, you know, um, be be more careful of what they eat, maybe the exercise. And it takes what is it like twenty two days to build a habit, or I forget what that number is off the top of my head. But um, I think we're we're getting close to thirty days here. I think, and so uh, <laughs> maybe there will be some uh, positive uh, healthy lifestyle habits that have been built. You know, the other thing I, I expect people will gain from this time is that an appreciation of their health and their good health, those that do have good health and, and honestly appreciation of, the, of their time with their family and their loved ones. And because there's some people, unfortunately, that have family members that they've lost because of this. So my, my hope is that, that all of us will learn to appreciate the time we have with each other and be respectful of each other and, and more nurturing and loving of each other in the long term. Yeah, I agree. Um, so how do you think appointments are going to look in six months from now or maybe even a year from now? I know that telehealth is definitely, um, it's been a necessity. Do you think it's going to be something that um, the medical community, um, our society will kind of accept and em- embrace and kind of move forward and say, hey, this is probably better for us? Yeah, it'll depend, of course, on the regulations that have been temporarily um, lightened from um, insurance companies. You know, if, if the insurance companies uh, have seen the benefit to it to their patient and honestly, even to their bottom line, they'll continue that. Uh, so, you know, I think there will be many patients if we are allowed to continue virtual visits uh, who will embrace it and have seen the benefit uh, in it. Uh, and like we talked about, the convenience factor. I think there'll be many, both both physicians and patients, that are going to embrace it. There's been a pretty steep learning curve for both the patients and the physicians and physician assistants, nurse practitioners, because uh, there's there's different codes that we use for these types of visits. So yeah. there's been a pretty steep learning curve. Uh, I think now that we've gotten many of us have gotten through that, that we'll we'll actually be embracing more the the telehealth uh, it's like, that, it's, that's being offered now. Yeah, it's kind of almost like we've been become our own IT department. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> Yes, you know, and we understandably a lot of patients have never done a, a Zoom visit or a virtual encounter, even FaceTime uh, with with someone. So they've they've definitely had to learn a new technique of communication as well. Yeah. Um, so how how has COVID nineteen changed um, kind of any of the healthcare processes? And and in looking at the future, do you think that these changes will become a norm for now? Like you know, I guess the way that maybe you would like you said you kind of are uh, pre checking people for certain. Um, uh, signs and, and symptoms. It will, will some of that stuff keep moving on in the future? Yeah, I certainly see that we will be paying a lot more attention to both as a as a healthcare provider and honestly as a patient to our symptoms if we're having viral syndrome type symptoms. So I think we'll probably see a long-lasting screening process of those that are coming into the office, especially as long as COVID-19 is, is lingering in our communities. So I, I think that's the one thing that will change is just our infection prevention processes uh, from a screening standpoint. And many of our clinics, honestly, have set up a process where the, pa- the, the, the waiting room may be no more, honestly, because do, do you want patients lingering in a, in a community, in a, in a, sm- a small group setting, in a waiting area, 
they're going to walk straight into the front door and potentially go straight to an exam room where they're more or less isolated from each other. So there, many of our clinics have set up a process like that where the, the waiting room really just is not a waiting room. It's just a place where they walk through to get back to the exam rooms. Well, and I got to say, though, if the waiting room goes away, how am I going to catch up on any of my mobile gaming? <laughs> uh yeah, well, we'll see if we can sit up in the exam room as well. <laughs> no one want to deny that opportunity to you. Right. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so uh, will we eventually be able to eradicate COVID-19 from our community, our state, our, our country? I think it's a possibility. Do I think it's going to happen? It's probably not, honestly. And that's why there's so much focus currently on vaccinations. Creating vaccines that will create lasting immunity is you know, SARS-CoV-2, the specific virus, a virus that, that is like influenza that has the ability to modify itself and create different strains. Time will tell with that. If we create a vaccine against one strain, will we be able to have some benefit with antibodies that will help us with other strains? I think it's just a matter of time will tell. And certainly herd immunity, as Dr. Sims mentioned, is going to be the biggest key. Some of that will be attained via vaccination. Some of that will be attained by those uh, those that have been infected with the virus and produced their own antibodies. Yeah. And um, it's kind of interesting. I think I asked Dr. Raza, you know, is this something that, hey, uh, did you get your flu shot? Did you get your COVID-19 shot or your SARS-CoV-2 shot? Um, and he said he said yes. And, and as, as times kind of keep going, it's interesting to, to think that um, I'm alive during a time where a mass vaccination has had to be created. Um, it's just, uh, I guess I never really thought of that, you know, so it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any steps that we can take to prevent a future pandemic of this scale? Yeah, I think the greatest steps will be taken from a federal standpoint. Um, some, you know, lessons learned from any time this happens, there's never going to be a perfect response uh, both now and in the future, but I think the, the ability and the responsiveness of our governments to, you know, create stay-at-home orders in certain scenarios, um, encourage social distancing has been done. I think it's, you know, I think we all are learning both as an individual as well of, okay, I need to pay attention to my symptoms and be responsible to myself and those that I'm around and the community. If I'm sick, Okay, I need to, you know, more or less stay at home if I'm, you know, relatively tolerant of the symptoms that are going on. And if not, reach out to my primary care provider to seek appropriate advice on treatment and isolating myself. So I think, you know, I think our, our governments are learning from this. And I think as individuals, we're learning from it. And that'll limit the potential for a pandemic reoccurring in the future. Yeah, I kind of hope too, like what you're saying, you know, if you're, if you're sick, stay home. Hopefully people won't feel the pressure to have to go into work. You know, some people I think do feel that pressure if they're not feeling well. And so hopefully people will, you know, hey, I'm going to stay home because I'm not feeling good. And I don't, I don't want to get my coworkers sick either. And I think employers are probably learning at the same time that they can function, certain employers, of course, function with their employees providing services from home. So I think a lot of the employers are learning the the benefits of having um, their employees uh, work from home from an infection control standpoint. Yeah, it's good. Um, Okay, so my last questions for you is like a quick three-question lightning round. 
Um, Bring it on. Are you ready? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm a big family feud guy, so this is like, you know, that final (laughs) round there, trying to get all the points I can. Bring it on. Okay, so you got to answer as quickly as possible. All right, Rolling Stones or Beatles? Beatles. Oh, good call. Football or baseball? (laughs) I'm five foot six, 135 pounds. I've never been a guy who played football. Flag football over over football and baseball, but I guess I'd have to say if it's just tackle football and baseball, it'd have have to be baseball. Okay. Is Carol Baskins guilty? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll be honest. I have very little time to watch TV. Um, I learned kind of who she is uh, about sure. a week ago. Sure. Uh, I'll just I'll just off the cuff say, uh, sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very cool. So, uh, well, Dr. Bigler, um, it has been a pleasure, and thank you so much for doing this with us today. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Wash your hands. Keep your hands off your face. That's for you, Dr. Sims. <laughs> I'll make sure he hears that. So, uh, Well, thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, don't forget to hit subscribe and leave us a review. Uh, we have a lot more episodes coming, and we look forward to sharing them with you. So thank you, guys.